Today's episode of the Iconic Podcast, number 20, pumping them out now, heading into the summer. This is always brought to you by Iconic Clothing Company. Summer merch is coming, but in the meantime, you can check out the Instagram page, and you can also check out the website in case you're interested in purchasing some gear. Uh, this past month, as everyone knows, Tiger Woods won his 15th career major championship in his fifth green jacket at Augusta, and he hit another perler on the par 316 in the final round, puts it within two feet of the hole after going up one one stroke and I just they do cruises in the last two holes and I mean the guy owns the hole the hole itself is going to be named after him one day for what he's done at that hole and you can get a t-shirt to commemorate it on the iconic website this episode episode 20 I'm really excited about it guys I really am Bo brings in his friend colleague rec league hoop rival Alec Lewis aka Alabama Al of the athletic for just an absolute bazooka of a show I mean, just a true conversation spanning a ton of different topics that we're going to get into here in a second. Um, to kick it off with a, a little bit of a Missouri Athletics retrospect of the last four years, how you know, different stories have shaped their their career and heading into their career, um, especially at Mizzou. Alex got a lot of good stories about you know how the transition from the Gary Pinkle era uh, with the protests and how all that ended into the Drew Locke, Barry Odom era, and now into this Kelly Bryant post-protest era of Missouri football and athletics at Mizzou. So that's a great conversation that they, they kind of kick it off with. I know we spoke about a lot of Mizzou football in episode 13, so Bo was mindful to, to keep the ball rolling on that. And then the conversation, it kind of shifts towards what is, for me, my favorite part of the episode. Uh, they do this deep dive into sports journalism, their approaches to stories, what they love to do and what what who they love to look up to and read about and the things they kind of take from other people and apply into their own work themselves. I mean, these are two guys who are aspiring journalists and, and they're going to be going on to do great things. And so for them to kind of do a little bit of a, a deep dive into the method of their madness is good stuff. And then um, they kind of shift it towards NBA playoffs for a few minutes and the Game of Thrones talk as well, obviously. They'll, they'll talk about Dame Lillard and against OKC, um, the Bucks boston series, Houston-Golden State. And if I could get one second to just applaud Damian Lillard for the playoffs. I mean, K- KD has had he, – he's, he's telling everybody it's his time. I'm Kevin Durant. He's telling everybody it's his time. But down at the other end of the Western Conference bracket, Dame Lillard, man. I mean, I personally did not think Portland had enough firepower to make a run in these playoffs. But if you got Dame Lillard and he's got the hot hand, you don't really need anything else. So I applaud the man, and they got Denver on the rope. So, I mean, hopefully we get ourselves a, a Portland Trailblazers Western Conference Finals. That'd be awesome. Um, and then they'll, they'll finish it off with a little bit of boxing because you know Bobby left hook. He's got to get his boxing in with any guest that comes on for the show. Loves to talk about the fight game in general. So they'll finish up with that. I mean, overall, just a firecracker of an episode. I'll leave timestamps in the description in case you want to skip around topic to topic because it is a it's a doozy that's for sure. But overall, remember these names. You know, remember these names: Alec Lewis, Bo Templin, the next generation of Missouri School of Journalism that's pumped out the likes of John Anderson and Wright Thompson of ESPN. I mean, I truly believe these guys are next. And when you listen to like the Bill Simmons podcast with Ryan Wasilla, for instance, those guys, you know, who are in their 40s, they're established, they have a ton of stories to talk about. But I always enjoy when they, they talk about what it was like when they were struggling in their 20s, going gig to gig, kind of getting whatever story possible to maybe make, take the next step in their career. And so to have these two at the, the beginning of their career to talk about where they've been, where they're going, what they want to do. It's just awesome thing. It's just an awesome overall podcast. These guys are next. 
Trust me, these guys are next, and they're next now on episode 20 of the Iconic Podcast. Sitting across from me, the returning iconic podcast guest, former Mizzou football writer for The Athletic, formerly at Yahoo Sports and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and the reigning Kansas City Royals writer for The Athletic from Birmingham, Alabama, the guest. I coined him the nickname Alabama Al, Alec Lewis, and I... There's nowhere else to start this conversation than the text message I received this morning. <laughs> okay. Text message I received this morning at, oh, early, 9.55. Quote, I'm feeling it today, just FYI. I, I was so fired up, I sent that to Domas. I'm like, all right, we're going at this thing today. We're bringing it. Whoa. I mean, with your introduction, I think I need to, like, run out of the tunnel or something. You but, do like, need to run Brickside, out of the tunnel. Brickside hasn't built a tunnel yet, but they'll probably at some point. But, no, I mean, yeah, I woke up this morning, like, 8.30. I had a I had an in-class assignment grammar exercise, five-page grammar mm. editing, copy editing assignment um, at 9 o'clock. It's, like, part of one of our final assignments. And I walk into class. I'm, like, I got my Dunkin' Donuts. I walk into class. Huge. I'm ready. And I'm not sure what kind of assignment I'm about to get into, but I, I just I feel like I'm, I'm, I'll be all right with it regardless. My professor walks in front of the class. She says, hey, guys, this is the same. This is the pretest that you took. I did. I, I made like a 90 on the pretest. She's like, no one's ever done worse in the post test than they did on the pretest. So at this point, <laughs> I'm drinking my Duncan and I like. I, I'm really ready. I also had just uh, dropped the the Nikki Lopez story on the athletic, so I, I, I was feeling really good. I still am. Um, I still haven't shouted. I'm, I'm working out later. I mean, this is God a full. Bless. This is a full day, a and I'm, day. I'm excited. It's a good Thursday. I'm. You know what? And I I think I can match. I'm I'm headed to the TV station after this. Um, K O M U K O M U. I'm heading there tonight. I head there tomorrow. Wow. For a nine to seven shift. But I am not jealous of any of the grammar shit that you have to do nowadays. <laughs> like, getting the grammar exam to get into the J school two years ago or whatever, that was hard enough for me. I do not need any more grammar whippings that I received, like, early on. That was absolutely terrible. So, before things get hashed, like, <sighs> we got to talk about something here, okay? Alabama Al in the room. Me on the host mic. But to my left... <laughs> You know, I wanted Gabe here. Didn't happen. But to my left is Jack Mays. Now, now we got something to hash out, okay, gentlemen? And, and I got a, we got a story. I've been working at the Mizzou Rec for four years. I've been playing at the Mizzou Rec for four years. Basketball. I have been a ref. I've orchestrated the league. And then within the last year, I was lucky enough to welcome in a friend of mine to also referee with me, 
And that friend happened to be Jack Locust Mays. Now, when you're refing intramural basketball, shit can get pretty nasty. Guys are pretty tough, brutal. Some of the play can be sloppy in itself, making the game inherently hard to ref. But we, we got some beef that we got to squash out here, gentlemen. I want, Mays, I want to hear your side of the story. And then Alabama Al, I want to hear your perspective on some of these calls. And it's, it's a great tie-in to the Warriors-Rockets series with the discussion of referees and how they should be treated. Perfect. So let's, let's get into it. Jack Mays, if, you, if you'd like to start. Yeah, you can tell the story. Absolutely. I'll, I'll start off. I'll, yeah, I'll give my side about this, this grease ball of a game that we had going here. It was first round of the playoffs for AU Pi, I think. I don't, I don't remember who you guys were playing. We played – oh, my goodness. Um – I don't know. They were they weren't. It was great, another fraternity. So, yeah. You guys were. It was a close game though. It was really chippy. One of the chippier ones I've refed. Yeah. If I'm playing in the game, it's gonna be chippy. Started off hot with uh, Zoldan. You're, you know, he might have been the star of that game, but he was going. He's off. the team captain. Yeah. He was. He's captain of the team. Getting a little uh, John a little bit with the guy on the sidelines. <laughs> I, I did my best to protect the boys. I know five of the players on your team. I think I knew your whole starting five. Right. And uh, got to protect the boys. Remove the kid from the sidelines that Zoldan was going at. Uh, he had a great game. But I think the calls that you were upset with were the – there was four block charge calls oh, in the that's, game. <laughs> that's, that's so hard to ref as it is. It's a rec league playoff game. And this man has to ref four block charge calls. I don't even know – I mean, that might be a rec league record for block charge calls. You're was, an intramural rep. You're trying to make some money on the side. So I can, I can sympathize from the get-go here, okay? okay? All right. Well, I think the first one was obvious. Zoldan was charging through the lane. Yeah, he does that. Hammered it. Hammered a guy inside. Kid goes to the ground. Second one I don't think I called, but it was the third one that you were upset with, I think. I think I'll let you take it away from there. That's that's kind of so. Full disclosure, um, and my good friends know this, but I wear glasses every single day because I cannot see without them, and I cannot put contacts in. And I, I've taken flack for it for a long time, uh, but I'm like too scared to put them in. And so, what I see often on the court when I'm playing, because I don't play with glasses. Can be different. <laughs> can be different than oh, what actually happens. So I always. So like, if I'm having a bad game and I'm not making three pointers, that's all I do is just stand on the wing and shoot threes. Then it's because I can't see well that day. My my like Zoldan, our team captain, he knows this. When I'm shoot struggling, he's like, "Oh, it must be a bad eyesight day," and it is. So, but I remember this charge call. So I remember I was I was out of the game. I think I got pulled. I probably. I, I think it was a really bad turnover. I had maybe two or three. And I, so I'm standing underneath the baseline. We stand on the baselines, the bench does, like a, like Vanderbilt's arena. Yep. Which just doesn't – Just outrageous. Yeah, it doesn't really make it – whatever. Um, but I remember the player drives down the lane. Our My teammate slides over, takes a beautiful charge. Beautiful. And I'm talking for rec league. Like, if you're in position yeah. and you take a beautiful charge like that, I want to be rewarded every time. You're the referee on the call, and and you and I I think I think you called a block, and again it could have been a bad eyesight day for me, but boy, boy was I kind of I was kind of upset with the call. I really was. I mean, I, I there's nothing else to say, but I yeah. I I think there might have been five calls, five block <laughs> charge calls, because I'm not recalling that one. What I was gonna say was the one, uh, your guy went baseline, and a kid kind of jumped up and, and did a little turn. He went that to the might- ground. That was that was the call I remembered, 
And here's what I will say. <laughs> He's correcting I, me on the call. I, I, don't, I don't admit this. I don't admit this very much. I do think you were right. Yeah. I do think you were right on the call. But I tell this to Bo all the time. I make the big calls. I think it's been on the podcast You're like Joey four or five times. The big call this game was at the very end. Zoldan's got five fouls. Four fouls. Five and you foul out in this five league. Five and you're out of the league or out of the game. Out of the league. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he came uh, down the lane again on a, on a fast break, and it was kind of a 50-50 call. Ball goes up in the air. He knocks the kid to the ground. And this I was see, your moment. This was my moment. I kind of stole the show here as the referee. I called the block on him and one. I think you guys went on to – to close out the game with some free throws after that, but yeah, well, we we did to get very writerly with this. If I was writing a story about your refing in that game, I would have led with that moment. That was the important moment. I had, to, it, I had to get it in there then. Right, right, right. No, you're right. You're right too about the earlier call was a jump to the side, try to take a charge, and you ended up. I think calling the charge is that right? I don't know. I I mean I play. So if, if you want together. to get into the nitty gritty though, in the details here. So Zoldan goes through the lane with four fouls. The block's called and won. The bucket's good. You guys go back on defense. You get a stop. And the next possession down, Zoldan hits a three. So if you want to talk about a potential six-point swing in this game, it was that call. Mays makes the big call, as he always does. <laughs> And you guys go on to win the game thanks to a couple late points from Zoldan. We did win the game. It was a really good win um, for for the organization. We uh, last year made it to the semis. It was it was my goal and my last go around at this Mizzou Rec facility that has I've just spent so many. There's so many memories there. It's my goal to make it back there. Didn't end up doing it. We lost the next round. I think it was because Jack was not refereeing us. It, like I, I I mean. There were some big calls, and again, it was chippy because I was playing, and and it just it didn't go our way. So, it's it was I, I respect the work that you do, um, I really do, and, and I wish we had you that second game. Yeah, I appreciate wow. the uh, I appreciate the the praise there. I think I think earlier in the year they might have not put me on your court on purpose on that one. Earlier in the year, I think you guys were uh, down twenty five at half in a game. And ended up coming back. I think I was. <laughs> you might not have been there for that one, but I was. See, if I was there, we wouldn't have been down twenty-five and a half. <laughs> but I was like, I was like thinking in my head, like, what? Like that would not happen. But, but I was also on the floor for that game, and you guys made a twenty-five point comeback. So you're the good luck charm. <laughs> so, bummer. I'm. I'm sorry. I couldn't be there for you guys. <laughs> it's all right. We played. I remember we played Lambda, and it was tough, and they were big, and they just. I think in the first half they shot ninety percent, and I was. I would be out in the court like, what am I playing the Warriors? And I don't know if that's where you want to segue, but um, might but, be able to. But but yeah, I I respect the refing. Thank you for for. I'm glad we got the hatches. I told Me you on too. the court at the end of the game. I told you at some point we're gonna hash this out publicly. I feel like you knew as soon as the call happened that you had to call me out publicly <laughs> on the pod. So this was just this was like a month in the making. Yeah. But I'm glad we finally yeah. got to talk about it's, it. It's good. To, it's good to get it over. Yeah, with. that needed to happen. But uh, this feels like when Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas hash it out on NBA TV and they both start crying and they hug each other after the conversation after not talking for 20 years. That's what that felt like right there. All right, well, now that that's out of the way, we can get into <laughs> actual professional sports content here. So I've got a couple notes. Content. Hashtag content. Hashtag content. Content is king. Content creation. Okay, so i got a couple notes here for you, Alabama Al. 
Okay. I've got a couple questions from Uncle Luke. Okay. I want to talk generic Mizzou sports path from where we started when we were freshmen to where we are now and then looking at the future. I want to briefly, briefly, briefly do NBA playoffs because I've got a pod coming out today that already recaps like a couple of the games and the NBA playoffs is easy enough. Yeah, of course. Primarily, I've got coming up next, graduation and then Royals Padres stuff. And then we'll wrap things up with boxing. Perfect. That work? Yeah, it's good with me. So let's start. As long as we can talk about Bud Crawford. We can we can talk some Bud Crawford. He's a nasty dude. Okay, let's start with Mizzou Mizzou sports. Okay, you and I were in the same grade, and we come to the Mizzou campus in 2016. 15 was it? 15? Excuse me, it is 15. 15, 16 is our first year. I don't know. This stuff it is it is our first. We were uh, graduates of high school in 15. Yes. So we come to the Mizzou campus in 15, and immediately we get smacked with the protest. Yeah. Right away. And a funny story about that is the day of the protest, I called into um, the Doug Gottlieb show. And I was like, you know, I'm a sports fan just calling from Missouri. If you guys want to hear my perspective of the protest, I'm willing to talk. And they were able to squeeze me. And so I remember vividly talking on the Doug Gottlieb show (laughs) about it. I guess I didn't realize at the time how long that stench would stick. I knew it was big at the time, but I didn't know it was going to be a four or five year, maybe now a decade long conversation. And so I guess I want to hear, what do you recall from that first three months of Mizzou football and then the protest itself? Because they were, I mean, that's a shitty team. Yeah. So I remember I, I, um, I came to Mizzou like primarily for sports journalism. I mean, for me, that was the biggest thing about it i also came here because i knew some people from the south memphis area um and a couple other places that people from there that were coming here and i came here because I, missouri was in the sec and i and they were coming off two sec east championships gary pinkle was the coach everyone spoke so highly of, of he and his program yeah. even nick saban is close with gary pinkle so like for me, it just I was like, okay, great sports journalism school. This is going to be a place I'm going to get to cover a lot of mm-hmm. cool things. It's going to be great. I remember I got here the first week. Um, I, I was working for the student newspaper, The Man Eater, and I covered a Gary Pinkle practice, and then I covered um, a, a scrimmage back when they used to open the scrimmages uh, between sides, and that was Drew Locks. He was a freshman. He's our age, too. And the, Which I, I find very poetic. Yeah. And he, but the, the crazy thing is he played really well in that scrimmage. Matty Mock was the starting quarterback. Um, so I covered a little bit of that time. And to go to the protest, I mean, this is something I think about most weeks. I get asked about it still by editor people. Like, what was that like for you? And, I mean, it was pretty – for me, it was like almost hard to believe that Missouri, the University of Missouri and the football program was the hub – of the national sports story of the week. I mean, I didn't know much about the situations prior to it. I, I did a lot of reading as as that kind of unfolded. But I remember, like, I covered everything that week. I was at a lot of the protests. I was at the football facility. I remember I hopped a fence with CBS's Dennis Dodd to try to get <laughs> to the administration building. Uh, I remember, like, kind of stumbling over, and Dennis and I kind of, like, laughing about it. Um, but, like... For me, 
that that shaped kind of everything that I've I'd cover. I mean, I learned so much that week just in terms of like culturally. I tell everyone yeah. this too. Um, like I learned so much because I came from a pretty wealthy suburb in Alabama, primarily white, and so to to like read about a lot of these things that that people had to go to, go through the administration's response or lack thereof, and then the, the stand that the football team took. It was like just fascinating, educational, um, just interesting, and the fact that, again that Missouri was the sports hub was was crazy. But you're right, like so that set up. And by that time, Drew Locke was a starting quarterback. Um, things became so tough at the end of the protest week after the the system president Tim Wolf resigned. Gary Pinkle retired um, due to cancer, and so this all happened this one week. Obviously, Gary Pinkle retiring shapes the future for Missouri football, and and Barry Odom steps in, and and that has shaped the, the year since. So, yeah, it, it it's it's wild because um, I mean, in talking with fellow students and, and prospective students, I'm always asked like, what what did the protest do to this university? And it's fascinating because my hope is that for those who 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 protested, for those um, who thought they needed to 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 show their voice, my hope is that things have changed for them for the far better. And, and like, I hope that for all students, this place is a better place to be. Um, as far as athletics, I mean, I think it, it made people question the University of Missouri. And it, I think it just, it, it hurt the credibility of this institution in terms of, I mean, a lot of students probably from primarily white suburbs, like have had, had decided not to maybe take steps toward going to Missouri or maybe having it on their list. So, I know I I don't know if I answered the question, but these Nate. are like thoughts that in my head, over the course of these four years, I mean I've I've thought about. It. You had Kim Anderson, who was one of the worst basketball coaches in college basketball history. Um, and I you mean, know what? This is really saying something, right? Looking back now, he's worse than I viewed him when we had him, <laughs> and that's not good because it was embarrassing to go to games freshman year. It was a waste of your time. Um, obviously, Pinkle retiring just completely shifts the landscape. He was of the Missouri, Missouri program. I mean, he was the Missouri football program. He he had some really tough years, and then he responded to the point at which you were like, I mean, Missouri was nationally relevant, and that's so hard to do. As I mean, I know Missouri fans don't like hearing that, but this is a program that hovers around the thirty-five mark in terms of the the top thirty-five program top. 120 programs in the country Missouri hovers around 35 40 so when Missouri's competing for major bowl games and, and even yeah. I mean in the SEC championship against a team like Auburn I mean that it's it's hard to overcome losing the person that built that program so now we skip ahead four years and we we covered the Barry Odom transition really in-depthly last time you were here so I don't think we need to dive into it again but right now there's two stories. One, the ban. And I don't think that I can really provide any extra context. There's nothing really I can say about the ban that either hasn't already been said or I'm at some point I'd be talking out of my ass because I, I just don't know. I don't know what needs to be done in order for that to get reversed, changed, lifted. What I do know is that Missouri football is on the brink. I mean, this, this year could be really something special for Missouri football, and I hope – you know, that things work out enough to where they get a, at least a great amount of national respect, regardless of whether the playoff ban gets lifted or not. 
Um, now, I see your eyes are dancing, okay, because we got the Royals game on to our right. I had to put it on for you. Royals, by the way, it's 1-1, bottom seven, two outs, 2-2. Two, two. Who's up to bat? Martin? Uh, Martin Maldonado. Okay. But we, but, but I'm, I'm locked in on this. You're um, pretty locked in. I, I think about this year, I agree with you. I think Barry Odom, I think what he did and he and his staff did in recruiting this offseason to, to be able to push past the Drew Locke era because at some point it was going to end. And I think some people probably thought it would be better than it was. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. But what Kelly Bryant brings to this university and what his choosing to stay even after the bull ban happened. Perhaps is even more impressive than getting him to come here in the first place. Right. And I don't think there was any doubt about it. Um, and I think that says so much to me about where this program is. Look, the bull ban, you're, uh, you're right. Like you, I, There's not any perspective. Nothing is going to change in the next week two weeks like we will find out at some point I think Missouri smartly has implemented this make it right mantra my my thing about it is I think it's solely a marketing kind of push for Missouri fans to kind of rally behind and it makes sense I think that's a smart move in the end I, I don't know how much the NCAA is going to want to budge on a decision they made is that I mean, if they go back on the decision they it made, makes them look weak. What does that? Yeah, how does that affect their credibility? So I think that's something to watch. But I I agree with you, and I think that Missouri fans, especially with Kelly Bryant and what they've done in recruiting, and the the stadium will be renovated and new and look really good come this fall. I think this is a fall that that Missouri people are really excited about, that they should be excited about, and I think once it's all over, that they will have really appreciated. Um, the strides that Gary that, that Barry Odom has made, especially with with Derek Dooley as offensive coordinator, um, I mean with Garrick McGee as an analyst now turned wide receiver coach, with with Austin Carter Samuels as a guy who was kind of brought Drew along, um, kind of sticking with. Them. I mean for Barry also, I think something that's maybe overlooked is Barry has kept a majority of this staff together that that really performed last year, and I think some people again have had expectations higher, but. To keep all of your staffers like that says a lot, especially on the offensive side that 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 has put up such great numbers. When when the discussions of Barry Odom getting getting canned or on the hot seat, all that discussion right before they go on, obviously their their historic run at the end of um, not this year but last year's season, it was the consistency of the staff that pushed them through. And right on the right on the edge, right in that gray area where you say all right do we start clean or do we push through and stick with what we have and they decided to stick with what they had it worked out they have a good season this year you know and they make they make that that run from last year and, and now looking at the future it's very promising this year in our senior year we're going to start to transition here because it really the we talked so much mizzou last time sure i, I i'm not as um inclined to discuss it today but this year, then, we're on spring break. Okay, we're in Cabo San Lucas, right? I, I, I see my, my old crew, the AE Pies. I see my buddy, Alabama Al. We start talking shop. And I need to know, what the hell was your spring break travel plans? You went from spring training to Cabo, back to spring training, and then back to Mizzou. 
back to Kansas City. You and psychopath. Then to you psychopath. I went, uh, gosh, I was in spring training for like four or five days in Surprise, Arizona. So I flew from Columbia to Denver to Surprise. Oh. Then I flew back on Saturday from Surprise to Denver to Columbia. I drove to St. Louis on Saturday. I flew out to Cabo on Sunday. I was there. I flew back on Friday into St. Louis. I drove to Columbia, stayed there for a night. I drove to Kansas City. I covered two baseball games, and I drove back to, to Columbia. Um, <laughs> God bless you. When I was – I remember sitting in the press box at the Royals game, I think probably the second game I was in Kansas City. And I'm like – I mean – I am locked in on the Royals. I, I was watching games in Cabo. I was making sure I was doing everything I could in Cabo to prepare myself for covering games um, and being around this team. And I, I, there was, I was just so tired, though. I remember sitting in the Kansas City press box like, I, I mean, I don't know if I should have done Yeah, I mean, it was tough. My head is kind of falling. Oh, Those little, I know that move. Yeah. I do that in the class all the time. The, 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 the head. Right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. no, I'm up. I'm right. up. I'm up. But, but I remember, like, I wrote a story about Billy Hamilton, I remember, and, and he's up to bat right now, which is a nice little segue. But I remember, like, I wrote the story in, in second person. I was so tired. And I, ca- I read it the next day. I was like, Wow. All right. Like, if I can do that, like, I, like hopefully I can continue to to excel. But yeah, those travel plans are crazy. It was a crazy time. Very fun though. I mean, it was incredible time in every every spot. So you're gonna have to explain this, okay? And I and I said it last time on the pod, and it pissed me off then. And I'm gonna say it today, and it's gonna piss me off probably even more. You're probably the only kid at this school who's beating me in sports journalism. <laughs> Which is so infuriating. I want you to explain how a kid, social, chill, normal, all those things, is 21 years old. You're on your spring break trip. Oh, by the way, you're going to be the full-time writer for the Athletic for the Kansas City Royals. How does that process happen? I mean, you have to be the youngest staff writer that the Athletic has. Um, <laughs> well, first, thank you for all that you said. Yeah. I think fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I think the way I say it to a lot of people is I was very I, again, I'm very lucky to be where I'm from. Um, my parents have been very supportive and they've been able to provide when I needed certain things. When I was 16 years old, I had a car to be able to drive wherever and, and cover games. And my parents trusted me to do that. I realized when I was at that age that, like, for me, this is what I wanted to do. I love sports. I love telling people stories. I love talking to people. And I love being around, like, like these athletes, I view them as people. I think of Billy Hamilton as the guy who grew up in Mississippi, who was going to play football at Mississippi State. Um, and, and so at that age, I, I really just did as much as I could to meet as many people and to just work as hard as I could could I, I don't I don't okay. I necessarily don't know if I knew what I was doing but I I tried to like just the people in Birmingham Alabama who I knew were in this business and around this business I just tried to get in front of them in some form or fashion and I think I mean my parents know this about me but when I kind of set myself on something I'm very passionate I'm very kind of I don't even know if organized is the word but like in my head I'm driven to the max to a point at which sometimes it's very unhealthy. Like my mental health sometimes can get really bad. And, and that's because sometimes I'm pushing myself to a limit that you just don't need to. 
So I think from that standpoint, I've taken those types of, I mean, that, that attitude, I've taken it from there to college. I've still tried to meet as many people as I can. Um, I've tried to work as hard as I can in certain stories. And so that's, I mean, the opportunity I have today is, is because of sheer, just, I, I think just a drive from that age. And I'm lucky to have known what I was going to do. And I'm lucky that my parents have supported this whole thing. But I, I, I also think like, Every, I also think my mindset is every single day. So I, I wrote this Nikki Lopez story. Um, it's in the notes. Yeah, we'll talk about it probably, but on on a Royals prospect. Right, go ahead now. Go and ahead and explain it. Yes. That was one of Luke's questions. He, he's got a running he's, uh, quote from Luke yesterday. He's running a story on Nikki Lopez tomorrow. And magic number's 353. Yeah. Chicago kid who knows Domas cousin and a buddy of ours, RP, and – I mean, you felt really good about this story. You guys were talking about it for 10 minutes before we started the show today. <laughs> yeah. Explain the Nikki Lopez story. Yeah, so Nikki Lopez is a prospect that, um, that I mean, he's an undersized guy, really, really, really good infielder. He's from Naperville, Illinois. He went to Creighton. He's in the Royal system. They, they knew they were going to grab him. They had him pegged as like a second or third round prospect. They ended up taking him the fifth round. They thought they had an absolute steal. They thought he was a surefire utility guy at the very minimum in the MLB. So Rustin Dodd, who covers the Royals currently for the athletic, um, a Kansas city guy, he, he was like, you should go to Omaha and write about Nikki. I'm like, okay. So I go up there. Nikki is as energetic and high passion. I just could relate on that level. He loves baseball. Like I love sports writing and like, I love telling people stories and like, I love talking about it. So it related, but to, to the point a bit about that, like, so I wrote that story, um, a little bit Friday night and a little bit Sunday, I filed it. And then one of our editors, we talked through it. And throughout that process, I mean, I'm, I'm as I'm writing this story that I I'm hope is going to do well, and I think I wrote it pretty well, I mean, we're going over things I could do better, and I'm writing these down, and I'm noting these. Th- like, I... If I'm not, if I don't feel like I'm learning through every single story that I do, then then I'm not, I'm not improving. Then I'm yeah. not going to get to the level. So like that's the drive. Amen. That, right. I mean that's the drive that it takes. Every podcast you do, you want to, you want to improve. And I know like I could get on a soapbox here, and I and it probably sounds so cliche, but it's the only way that I think I can continue to push and continue to like. Be, I mean I, I don't want my writing to get stale. I don't. I, that's why I wrote in second person. That's why. Uh, the Billy Hamilton tor- story in second person. That's why in this story I wrote about the lead is about Nikki Lopez cooking in his kitchen. Beautiful. Because, like, why would you not take risks in this type of thing and, and see if it sticks? I mean, I, that's the the greatest thing about The Athletic at the moment for me is that they have editors who are willing to talk me through how I can get better, and they have editors that are willing to allow me to kind of take risks. And this is literally the perfect situation for a young writer who, who, who I mean, I'm driven. I, I want to, yeah. I want to be able to write stories that make an impact on people and that people enjoy reading and is, and are entertaining. If I'm not doing that, I mean, especially in this day and age with people in our generation, how many people pick up a 2000 word story and read it? I mean, it's just not easy. So I think I try to do as much as I can to, to make, to make things work in that standpoint. Um, that's, but the thing that probably stood out to me the most of all the things that you just said, and it's something that I try and do as well, I probably should try and do more and will constantly try and do more, but Billy Hamilton's not the speedster from the Reds. Billy Hamilton's the multi-athlete from Mississippi with a family of blah, blah, blah. Humanizing 
these people that we really don't know all that well. We see them on a distance. We, we see them 162 nights a year. But you're telling them what they do when they leave the field. And I think that that's why people will be willing to pick up that 2,000-word article that you wrote on Friday and Sunday. And even if it's not necessarily that appealing to some people, that's why the people who do pick it up will pick it up. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. And think about Billy Hamilton, too. Like, that story. Like, we talked to him a little bit, and he said he struggled at the beginning of the year. He went home. He was fiddling with the bat at home. He was kind of just sitting in his apartment, like, thinking about his swing. And this is just like, after I write a story, after you do a podcast, after you take a test, you go home in your apartment, and you sit about it, and you think about it. That's like mm-hmm. what humans do. Yeah. But a lot of people view Billy Hamilton. They don't They don't think about this guy as, like, a human being who, who, who like, struggles with second-guessing his swing a game into the year and a guy who's like getting paid millions of dollars to do this. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the joy that I get into it. We, we watch all these games. I enjoy watching all these games and, and, but like for me, that's, that's like the, the benefit of this job is that like, I, I always try to see these guys as human beings um, who are, are, are looked at the way they are because that's, that's how much we value sports in this, in this generation. So personally, one of the things that has changed the most for me, from when I first got to this campus to now, you know, leaving relatively soon, is when I first got here, I thought I was going to be the first guy who could talk every sport. Like, at the end of the day, I, I truly believed NBA, MLB, NFL, soccer, golf, tennis. NHL? And, and then I started to learn NHL. I started <laughs> to learn it. I am not nowhere near comfortable yet, although I do owe um, – I owe a Twitter follower a YouTube video on the St. Louis Blues, <laughs> although I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I thought that was going to meet me. I thought I was going to be able to talk six or seven sports. And I still feel that way a little bit, but I've realized that you do have to specialize a little bit. And you're honing in on the Royals, and I've the last three years now I've honed in on the Padres. Do you ever feel that you don't know what's going on in the rest of the league because all I watch is, like, I feel this way all the time. Someone will be like, oh, um, and the Padres play the Braves today, so I'll just use that as an example. I don't watch Braves games. <laughs> I, I don't know what their lineup looks like on a consistent basis. I don't know their starting rotation all that well. I don't know who comes in the pen in the seventh with a lefty up to bat and a guy on second. I know that stuff for the Padres – do you ever feel like you're just missing out on other aspects of sports because you're so zoned in on the Royals right now? Like we were talking, you had to vote um, amongst all the athletic writers on the power rankings, right? Yeah, we had to MLB rank teams. all of our. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel qualified, or were you like hesitant to make those votes because you haven't watched a silly game? I mean, it's impossible to watch thirty different teams play. That's it's a good question. I think part part of me was like, okay. I mean, I don't know, like, what – if I'm ranking, like, teams, like, what put what, – why are the Twins below the Brewer? Like, especially – the thing with baseball, too, is, like, teams get so hot. Yeah. The Cardinals right now, I think, have won nine out of the yeah. last ten or whatever. Hottest team in baseball so, over so the like, last So, like, 20 days. power rankings, like, shouldn't that mean the Cardinals, if we're doing this once a month? Like, right now, they're the best team. So, like – I. but to your point, yeah, I think sometimes – I zone in so much on the Royals that 
If you ask me about the Brooklyn Nets against the 76ers, I could maybe tell you that Jared Dudley and Ben Simmons went, went back and it. forth, but I don't I couldn't tell you like how how D'Angelo Russell carried the team through okay. games 3 and 4. Yeah. Um I mean in baseball terms, it's my job to know as much as I can. Yeah. That said, if you ask me who's the setup guy for the Padres, I I don't think I could get it for you. I could tell you about Paddock and and like how yeah, how main much stuff. potential. Yeah. Um but and I think it's important for me to know like trends in the game. And we, we there was a story in the Athletic um, by Jason Stark. He talked about and Eno Saris wrote about it too. Just like the amount of home runs. Um, I mean rivals. That's a hell of a pitch. Sorry yeah, to Scott interrupt Barlow, you, but yeah. wow, um, that's a hell of a pitch. I've got a story on him that that I, an idea, but okay. we'll, we'll save that for another time. Um, but yeah, I mean there there's like it, it's hard to keep up with everything. It's even hard within the Royals, like. I'm supposed to write about all these guys, and I think every single one of them does have an interesting story. But you got to find those, and it's not easy, um, especially now because I'm not there every day. But even when you are there every day, I mean, how many people can you talk to and get in depth with every day? It's not easy. Super tough. So, and I and I was going to bring this up in the larger discussion of sports journalism. Okay, one of my pet peeves with ESPN is that a lot of their talking heads it's it's oversaturated. And Stephen A., who just signed his $10.5 million deal, good for him. I have nothing but you know respect for the work that he puts in. He should not be talking about boxing at an elite level, NBA at an elite level, NFL, baseball, and whatever other stories come about. And yet every day he's asked to go in front of the screen and talk about it. And really he's probably talking out of his ass. And so I watch these guys. I'm like, if Stephen A., just did NBA and boxing, he would be great. Yeah. He would be really good. But they're stretching these guys out, and I'm, I look at ESPN and what they do. I think what the athletics doing and having writers to teams is the way you go about probably covering sports on a wide national basis. It's interesting. People always ask me, like, what do you think about Stephen A. Smith and how much money he makes? And – you're. I think you're right. I mean, to know everything about every sport and be able to talk about it for minutes upon minutes on national television every day, that's why people ask me about those. Like, we're watching Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre right now talk about Gary Payton and J- Jason Terry. Like, what those guys get paid an exorbitant amount of money. But I, I always come back to the fact, do you know how hard it is to go talk about all those sports? Even if you're, you're not that well-educated yeah. in what you're talking about, to do that – with high energy every single day to prepare at that er, the times they do every single day. It's just not an easy job, and there are only so many people fit for it. That said, I agree with you 100%. I mean, you should listen to the person who's well-voiced in that subject. I mean, I think that's that's always the thing. Like, if you want boxing and you're wanting to go to ESPN, you should probably read Dan Raphael. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, if you want – literary journalism storytelling <laughs> you're gonna read Wright thompson if you oh, hold on hold up hold up pause pause question number two from luke domask i want him to rank his top five Wright thompson stories <laughs> quote he loves Wright as much as me yeah i love Wright. I just mean, maybe if- you know not don't necessarily rank them but just a few that stand out of recent or just a story that domask can go read right now and the tiger woods story that Wright wrote really good um I mean, that's like <laughs> it's hard to read that and then like feel like I can continue doing this job because <laughs> you. I mean, 
right in a sense the way he talks is like he i think i'm like kind of obsessive about certain things he i mean he'll, he'll he makes like a google doc or like an excel spreadsheet of all the people he wants to talk about talk to for a specific story i think for the tiger story he spent like a year making the 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 microsoft excel document for all the people he wanted to talk about oh my talk God. to um i mean that story the michael jordan story is iconic yep that he's written the master story that he wrote um about his dad and and kind of just like his path around augusta without his dad and always wanting his dad to be there with him that'll make you cry on on impact it's not even a question so wright thompson is 42 years old yeah i I like looking at that stuff i like seeing um he's a missouri alum yeah yeah and then i was just gonna say is ended up at kc doing some work at some point he was a columnist for the kansas city star uh he covered when he was here at the missourian he and Seth Wickersham were both here at the same time, and they covered they they applied for credentials to the Super Bowl. The Rams were in it that year. I think this was like early two thousands, and they they got credential for the Super Bowl. They went down there and they met a bunch of execs, some from ESPN, and it it paid off for them. Wow. Um. So I I know that Domask already read the Tiger Woods, but if you have not read the secret history of Tiger Woods, um, you must. It's a must read. This thing is. I'm trying to think of other. I mean, Wright just dropped a book, and it's a collection of some of his greatest stories. And what he's doing though is not, he's not beat writing anymore. He's writing elaborate, detailed, long thought out stories. It's magazine to the max. I mean, this is this is the stuff he writes now is what our our parents saw in Sports Illustrated in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, that's like. That that's it's that type of quality. I mean, he and Seth, and I could list off. I mean, Tim Keown of ESPN. Um, I mean, even like Scott Price at Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim at Sports Illustrated. I could go on with these people who still do that. Just I mean, at the Athletic, there are a million of them. Yeah, that just do that type of quality work that you're not going to find very often in this day and age. So you graduate here in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Then immediately to KC. Well, yeah. So I'll cover a Cardinal series, um, two game series midweek, the twenty first and the twenty second. I'm currently a contributor um, with the Athletic covering the Royals. Okay. That's my that's my title, the title. at the moment. Um, and and so yeah. Do I have well, to redo my intro now for you again? And now uh, that it's contributor, do I need to go back to the beginning of the show and re-give you? No, it's <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, no, I'm, I'm contributing, covering the Royals at the moment, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where I'll do that Cardinal series, and they play the Yankees, I think, the White Sox, and um, the Rangers. We'll see where this grind takes me next. Um, do you know where you live in? I do not yet. I'm trying to figure that oh, wow. all out. And can't. I know. Come I know, on, son. I know, I know. My parents are not, and my my girlfriend's like been amazing in trying to help me um i mean gabby has been amazing trying to help me with that that type of stuff so without i mean i don't even know where i'd be without that so shout out gabby yeah shout out but, gabby well, she just got a shout out on the i love yeah. it yeah. i love it why yeah. not let it fly yeah so we'll see but I, I, i'm figuring it out are you prepared for casey barbecue i yeah i mean i've had jack stack okay. i've had arthur bryant's i've had gates i haven't had joe's which is a bad move for I me. I think that's the one that I have had, and I don't think I've had the other ones. But, like, I will say, I mean, 
I, it, it's legit. Kansas City barbecue is legit, and and, and I think I'm excited to to do that. I, I I'm excited, but it's also scared I me. Mean, I said at the beginning of this, I'm about to go work out and like thinking about covering baseball every day, sitting in the press box, going yeah. to eat barbecue. I mean. I'm, I'm seeing a struggle where I, I'm going to have to find time to get some calories away from my body. So we'll see. You'll have to figure it Maybe they'll let you use the uh, training facility at, at the, the Royal facility. Stadium. Yeah. yeah maybe they'll you can do let a first do person of what the facility's like for the athletic. Always thinking, Bill. Beautiful. Always okay. Thinking. So now, just quickly, we'll do NBA playoffs. Sure. And then we'll do, we'll wrap up with a little bit of boxing. We're not going to talk about LeBron. Which is just so odd to me. So weird. How crazy is that? We're about to talk about the NBA playoffs, and LeBron is drinking wine. So, without him in the playoffs, has it been better, worse, or exactly what you expected? Um, It's been exactly what I expected, probably. I mean, I oh. like the Warriors. That is, like, what I expected. And yeah. I, I hope the Rockets would have... I hope the Rockets were going to make it competitive, and there's still a lot of time because they have the home court the next two games. But I think, I think the, the Rockets win Game Three. Yeah, I, I'd hope if they don't win Game Three, then what? I mean, then what's good? They're I gonna, picked the series to go seven. Yeah, and I thought the East ser- East series would be very good. I mean, I thought the Milwaukee Boston series would be really good. I thought the the Raptors Seventy Sixers series had a lot of potential. I I mean, I I don't know if I expected Damian Lillard to to send memes around the world yeah. but like i mean that dude's awesome and he's been awesome for so long that it's about time cj mccollum i mean talk about a game last talk night. about a podcast host bo uh, yeah <laughs> cj no I, I i like cj a lot the so. pull, i think it's the pull-up pod i could be wrong i think that's the, the pull-up pod he works with uh jordan schultz the yep. son of starbucks owner howard schultz oh wow yeah. god the more you know yeah um okay so lebron's not in warriors continue to do their thing Rockets are going to try and make it competitive in Game 3. Damien does what he does against OKC. Now, brother, you were an OKC guy this year. <laughs> you were hyping up Paul George. <laughs> Russell Westbrook's alongside him. I mean, what's what's why didn't it work? How did they just lose to a team that lost one of their key pieces in uh, Yusuf Nurkic? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I just – I don't know. I think Russell Westbrook in the playoffs has it's just been a struggle – and uh, I mean, Paul George didn't do. I think. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. Imp- it was impossible to sustain the level that he was at at one point in the year. But like, I don't know. It said they said they're going to keep Billy Donovan after the year. I don't think there. There's not much they can do. I mean, look. Like, what is general management supposed to do? Right. I mean, that's the thing. I, they I, went out. They dealt Melo. They got Schroeder. They they've done everything they can do. If I'm an OKC fan, you're frustrated. But I mean, you just. You got to show up, and I mean, I like Billy Donovan as a coach. So if you're going to switch that, I mean, I don't know what you're hoping to get if you're going to make that move. And so I don't think they are. Um, okay, then I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, it's, the West is so tough for me, and it's like I talk about it. I had confidence that that the Lakers. I don't know. I I, I had optimism that the Lakers would do something to to show us something um, because I just didn't. I, I thought. The Rockets had a chance, but to start the way they've started, I just don't know, and 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 I just, I don't know. I mean, the Lakers not being there was such a fascinating story to it in itself. But I just see it's going to be Warriors, and I think on the other side, like I kind of think the winner of the Milwaukee Boston series will take the cake. I I hope you're right, man. Yeah. As a as a Bucks fan, yeah. um, 
So Paul George last week, he calls Damian Lillard's shot a bad shot. <laughs> and and you're working in this quote, mid-quote, like half-quote right. world, quote out of context world. You're in the middle of that <laughs> sucker. <laughs> so I, I watched the whole thing because I, I didn't want to overreact from just Paul George says, quote, dot, 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 bad shot, end quote. Right. right? That's not enough. I'm not sure the full context helped him all that much. He was really saying it was a bad shot. I mean, you could go so many ways with this. I had one of one of our good friends. I loved this discussion, yeah, no, by the way. Yeah, I love yeah, this. Yeah, it's classic. It's amazing for TV. I mean, this is amazing <laughs> argument. But like, I, I mean, I, I can see why you would say it's a bad shot, right? He he had a hand in his face and he shot it from feet upon feet from behind from Timbuktu. Right, right. So like, I can see, but. I, my opinion on it was you cannot like you cannot let Damian Lillard take this shot. Is was my I was like, I don't care what has to happen, but I do not want Damian Lillard taking this shot. Because he had something to prove. He expressed how much he wanted to prove it. And and you knew he was gonna do everything he could. Um I don't know. It's it's a little petty from Paul George. Like it kind of. Yeah. I mean, just it's exactly what I. That is the exact description. I, it was petty. Yeah, but like in the, it, I can also understand. Be, I mean, you've played in in big games, and you. Yeah, I like it. to say I played in a couple yeah. big games no. in my lifetime. <laughs> I've refed in a few more. Right. I mean, like, I mean, we played I, in the quarterfinal game for the rec league, and like after we lost, it's like God, if, if we if they, I mean, I was okay letting them shoot those, <laughs> but like, but like, what do you mean? Like they they made their shots. I could be petty about it, but I mean, in the end, like Paul George was frustrated as he as he had every right to be. That's part of the human nature of these guys. Like these guys are not going to be buttoned up and perfect. When when Chris Paul complained, Modesty with amazing grip. Wow. When Chris when Chris Paul complains about about I mean he's yeah I complain about refs. I could you you heard the beginning I of this probably talk. complain worse than anyone that has been brought up. In this entire podcast, sure, I probably complain the worst out of all of them. So it was an interesting argument, and I, I don't know. For me, like the takeaway from that series was the whole Barry Trammell next question yeah. Russell Westbrook thing. Okay, so as a you know, again, you're you're in a great position to answer that kind of question. I I get Russ's frustration. I get his right to say that. But what's the long-term consequence of not developing a good relationship with the media staff that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've seen what LeBron has done with the reporters. He's that mastered it. Right, yeah. And so, like, what happens when you do that? I, I think you've seen that LeBron – I mean, some of the stuff LeBron probably did and went through this year didn't maybe receive some of the cri like critical element that maybe it should have. I don't know. Um I think you could see the benefit to it. I mean, I understand Russell Westbrook in a sense, but like my opinion on it is, is you're setting a bad precedent for the future of the league. I mean, I think oftentimes, and there are instances where it makes sense. I think oftentimes athletes are very, very, very weary and think the media is against out them. to get them. Yeah. But like, I think what we all want is to be fair and honest. That's our job. And we want you to be fair and honest with us. If Barry Trammell, the writer, the columnist for the Oklahoma, and he's been doing it for so long. He's very respected in the business. I mean, if he had said something about Westbrook or his family, like that had caused that, that's a conversation they should have off the record. There's no, I, I don't understand the, the point of that from Westbrook's perspective from a public sphere. And I'm glad Barry Trammell stood his ground. I mean, I just, that's, I mean, he didn't do anything 
purposeful to 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 be pointed towards Westbrook. I mean, he did it to do his job, and so yeah. So another another question, okay? Tomorrow, or no, we'll say in three weeks when you graduate. Hypothetical situation. Say in three weeks when you graduate, you get a call from the Kawhi Leonard's agent. <laughs> and you're now going to be the PR guy for Kawhi Leonard. You, you're going to be his, you know what I mean, his, his press guy. You, you're going to handle all of that. Okay. What would you do to change the image of him being weird? Or would you run with it and try to have people embrace it? <sighs> Because he's a top five player in the league. I think most people would probably agree with that. I just want him that. to show his personality. Even if that's not – even if that's the laugh thing and that – even if he's so shy to where he doesn't want to talk, just – I don't know. Just, yeah, I would probably run with the – don't – I would definitely not make him be who he doesn't want to be. That, I mean, that's the thing like with the Kyler Murray situation. I was like, choose the sport you love. I understand the consequences of money and that type of thing. But, like, it seemed like he loved football, and guess what? I think that paid off for him. Yeah. Um, he, so, he I think – He went number one. If I was Ka- Ka- Kawhi's guy, I mean, I'm doing – I'm doing what I think is best for him, but also, I mean, you got. I think there's a benefit to just being who you are and being open and honest. If you have something to hide, then then don't be open. But if you don't have anything to hide, then why not just be a good person? So moving then, so we've got East Coast or we got the Eastern Conference playoffs covered. We've got Warriors Western in the West. Conference. I'm I'm going out on I mean, a limb. You're an animal. Yeah. God, you're you're crazy, man. Yeah. Um. Okay. Say the Warriors win this year, and, and summer rolls around, and already, I mean, there's plenty of rumors, murmurs, little bubbles here and there that either Brooklyn, the New York. Oh boy, what just happened? Royals gave up a two-run homer in the top of the ninth. Ah. Back to your back to your where you're going with the New York Knicks. Okay. God, that was that was tough. Um, okay, so we got the Knicks, the Nets, the Lakers, and the Clippers. And all four teams really have a lot of options moving forward. I mean, the next two years for both of them, it could be fall flat on your face or you're talking about maybe a new contender in the NBA. If you were a free agent, what's your pick? I mean, I think – the most comfortable situation will be the best for these guys. That's a very political – I'm not breaking news with that. Um, I really liked what the Clippers did this year, and I think Doc Rivers is a really, really good coach. I don't know what their cap space is. I don't know what the limits are there. I don't know if they truly believe they can win playing in that same building with the Lakers. But I would say, like, if I was choosing, I think – as far as front offices go and, and coaches and structure, I mean, you saw how close that team. They took two off the Warriors, which is like, oh, they caught him off guard. You know, like, it is so hard to do. Oh, a dub's a dub. Um, so, I mean, that for me, like, I, I'm very impressed with what the Clippers did, just first and foremost. I think the Knicks, I, I think the Knicks being good would be great for the NBA. I think it would also be very fun. Uh, I mean, when Jeremy Lin had his little thing, I mean, that was the, it was like some of the two best weeks in basketball literally in our lifetime. So I think about that. I mean, I think I've seen firsthand that KD and Kyrie are very close. We'll leave that story off air, (laughs) Um, but I've seen them together out in a very 
interesting. I see the I see the chemistry between the two. Yeah, I mean, I mean they they're both kind of outside the box thinkers. They both obviously deal with media in rather unique ways, and I see where the similarities are. Yeah, I I I think if the the two of them ended up in New York together, man, it would be yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be fun and it'd be different. And that's what I mean. The NBA is incredible right now and they've done such a good job with social media and connecting to my generation our generation yeah they have um but i mean you gotta you gotta have some if the warriors continue to i mean so if it's four in a row then at some point i mean i just i don't really even i'm not really watching that much I, i'll watch these rockets games because i love watching james harden which is not the com- most uh, most common take in the world i do too though but i, I like i think for me I like to see something cool and different. And if that's the Clippers, I'm all for that. I mean, I, I love I mean they they hired Lee Jenkins, sports illustrator writer who I mean I talked about Wright Thompson, all those people, but Lee Jenkins for my money is also one of the best. And they hired him to be in kind of a like human development role. And like that just shows you're hiring smart people who can do really diverse things. I, I like the Clippers organization. They're also on the forefront of technology. KD's invested a lot in that type of thing. Yeah, they are. I don't know. Yeah, they are. I talk about the Clippers very extensively in the podcast that probably dropped within the last hour of us talking. But talking about a lot, I saw plenty of Clipper games this year. I mean, that's the team I watched. Other than the Bucks. I mean, that's the team I've watched the most yeah. in my life. Jerry West is a genius. Yeah. I don't even – for him to be – I think he's almost 80 years old. He's, he's for him timeless, To, to still be – one of the best front office executives in the sport is mind blowing. How is he still so ahead of the game? He's that the he logo. could trade. He could trade their best. I mean, probably their best player in Tobias Harris. Still make the playoffs and then give the Warriors two maybe games. and give the Warriors maybe the most competition they might have all playoffs. And that's my wow. bull. But like actually, wow. They 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 invested in Montrez Harrell. And look what he did. I talked to Montrez this summer, and I'm gonna say this. It's I'm I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of these guys, and nobody for me for my money has been better in an interview setting than Montrez Harrell. I don't know if you'd expect that or not, but he's so nice to me, so generous. They I mean, obviously they like Shea Gilgis, very underrated kid that they got. Lou Williams, that dude will score. You could, put, I mean, like not much needs to be said about Lou Williams' like, ability to score. Lou, yeah, but not, not much needs to be but, said about. I mean, his Jerry ability. West obviously knows what he's doing. He's the he's the damn logo of the league. He's doing something right. All right, so I feel good then. Just I wanted to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs and just see where you were. Yeah, because I you know I I totally get the day to day beat grind of covering an MLB team. I don't know how much you're really able to. You know, watch other things. So it was interesting to see what you're picking and choosing, yeah. what you are watching, what you aren't watching, you know, what gets paid attention to. I try as much as I can. I mean, the, it's interesting because graduation's coming up mm-hmm. and, like, you're trying to spend as much time with the with people everyone. you're close. Yeah. And, and, and you're trying to squeeze in Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. Yeah, that too. It's like that's the challenge right now. And, and, and to call it a challenge is laughable because how much fun are we? I it's mean, the serious. Damian Lillard quote yeah. literally from this week. Right. Nah, fam. This is not pressure. Right. Like, no, I mean, I'm hoping we're like what we're doing. We're on a college campus right now, and our biggest worries are what? <laughs> like leaving everyone. Yeah. I'm trying to like 
you know, pass some classes and just make sure things go okay. Right. I'm complaining about my work schedule at KOMU for the months of May and June, but that shouldn't be pressure. No. And and uh, we're pretty lucky to uh to have that. Like, if our problem is choosing another episode of Game of Thrones or <laughs> going to Harpo's to like spend just a couple more hours with the guys before like we graduate, that's not a bad thing to be dealing with. Right. No. I mean, anytime you could watch Game of Thrones, that's a probably a good idea. So when did you start? Um, it was definitely after winter break, so Kay. probably like beginning of February. Kay. So I didn't do it as quick as some people Kay. did it, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I knew I had to get through it because I know I can't be on Twitter if that's, yeah. um, but yeah, no, I started it. I did. People were like, Alec, you're not going to like, like the dragons and stuff. And I'm like, okay. I mean, when you start the show, like they did, it's not, it's not as much fantasy in the beginning. It's. It's stories about humans' lives. Yeah. And yeah, families. Yeah, fantasy. Right. But, like, think about what I, all of that I've said on this podcast. Like, I love telling stories Humanizing. about people. And these are, these are like, characters. But, I these mean, these are despisable characters yeah, some. that you find yourself rooting for. Yeah. How, I mean, it's, I guess there's some similarities to Breaking Bad and Walter White, right? And I haven't the, seen Breaking yeah, Bad. And not that you need to, or I think it's good. <laughs> you don't need to. Um, but it's a character who's making poor decisions or debatable decisions, um, and you know they're risking their family's lives, they're risking their own lives, they're risking the well-beings of people they care about. Game of Thrones does it better than anyone else. You you have these characters who will torture someone, they'll kill someone, they'll humiliate a family on a public display, and then they crack a joke, and you find yourself laughing. It's yeah, I mean it's one of the most impressive feats of storytelling and just construction of, of media I've I've ever <coughs> gotten the chance to be a part of. So I didn't do Game of Thrones until like three and a half weeks ago. That's your I you am pushed it. So I it's a confession. It's it's embarrassing, <laughs> but I'm glad we got one. I watched I've watched season eight. I still have more work to do in season seven. I didn't catch up the whole way. Okay. But I had to watch because I knew I was going to get spoiled. I knew enough of the story by season seven. Okay. That the moment I – if I had seen an Arya Stark meme of Damian Lillard, I'm like, all right, she kills him. Right. You were right. Like, I, I just was going to know. And there was no way to avoid the spoilers. I saw Avengers on Friday, the Thursday – like, the day after it came so out. So, I'm not an Avenger. I, didn't, I, I couldn't do that either. Okay. So, I die – like, I'm a diehard superhero fan. Um, not as much necessarily, like – I do like the comics – I do like action movies. I love superhero stories. I love viewing these people, and I love the inspiration that they can give to a kid, an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, someone our age, someone older, into believing that they can do more than that, more than they're currently able possible sure. to do. But this spoiler game, dude, and in the era of social media and Twitter, if you're not watching live it's ruined and we're lucky that sports is one of the few demographics of or one like sectors of media that you have to watch live and it seems like tv and movies are like moving the same way it's pretty pretty insane yeah it's interesting i mean this this society loves entertainment but yeah i mean to it's so cool it's like you watch this show and then i'm like i, I mean a after season episode season Eight episode three. I'm getting yeah. tangled up. Here. Yeah, that's all right. Um, I mean, I, I 
I ju- I jump on Twitter and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I'm, it's I'm the, trying to it come has down been from the adrenaline, the but it's the best two weeks I think in Twitter history. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's amazing. You I like you get the Lillard shot, you put yeah. Aria's head. I mean, you get like, Lillard. So you get the the NBA playoffs and Lillard. You get Avengers. You get Game of Thrones, which has you know their most hyped up battle. This battle, though, I mean, there's plenty of criticisms to go with it. Oh sure. There's been plenty of people, and I'm not going to say it was I'll the listen. perfect I'll episode. Listen. It was a good episode. No, it was great. I think it was a good episode. <laughs> I don't know, and then here's my biggest beef with it. You know, people say it was too dark. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they wanted to leave it kind of like ambiguous. You're not sure what you're seeing, what you're not. The Night King dies like that. All right, you know, you build up this character for seven seasons. I'm okay with the surprise death like that. I'm okay with Arya Stark doing it. My biggest problem with the episode is the inherent nature of the Army of the Dead. It's a zombie movie. Those were that wasn't a battle, it wasn't war, it was a zombie like invasion. Battle of the Bastards season 6 episode 9 is my favorite episode of Game of Thrones and that battle I think puts what we just saw not to shame but just they're two different categories. It, human to human, a spear going through your chest versus a zombie, you know, bones and like half skin does not nearly give me the same effect that it does when you're looking another person in the eye, their body's on the ground, their guts are spilling out. I think that was way edgier, way more intense. And it's not a fair spectrum to compare The Long Night to maybe the best TV episode in history. It's interesting because I didn't, again, like I binged until season eight. So had I been, I'm trying to think back, but like had I been watching Battle of the Bastards like on a Sunday night and had waited the week for it, you're probably right. I would have been like freaking out yeah. even to more to that level. So I can understand that. But you just watch it as another episode. Right. Okay. Right. So it like it's just a, another in a long line of let me get to the point where I'm done. My I so like I don't for criticism for me like for this episode I was very I'm like oh like just enjoy it and appreciate it. But I will say I I mean for me I I'm curious about like the Night King and what the whole I mean there the was story so, right. I, I don't even he didn't sing speak a single word right and so people people have said like I mean I'm 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 curious like how he didn't burn from the dragon fire like I was is he a Targaryen the, we could talk the get the memes yeah of, oh my god yeah. so but like so for me that was my criticism I just want to be fulfilled with the story I want to know what Bran was doing. The gosh dang yeah. time. What was he doing the whole time? I don't know. He, I have no idea. What What was he? What was like the role? What's his role now going forward? I mean, I'm, I, these are things that I'm interested. In, but I hope we learn more. Although some have written that like they just don't do the they don't really do the backstory for fantastical elements, and so maybe this is another one. But I'm gonna feel like I, it left some on the table. I will give you. I don't know if you want to uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No problem. I will give you a prediction. I think Tyrion Lannister is maybe the most important person in the show and maybe the one of the most featured in the show these last three episodes. I think I, So I'm gonna can I I'm gonna quote him from this last episode. And I thought there was gonna be a huge foreshadowing moment and we never got to it. So the army's coming in, they're just under attack. I mean the 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 army led by Snow and 
uh, Daenerys, they're they're just getting worked. So you send everyone who's no use in war down to the crypts. Mm-hmm. Great idea. <laughs> Safe place. <laughs> yeah, great great place to go where people can bring dead to life. In it though, they they hear the battles going on. They know they're getting their ass whooped. And, and Tyrion goes, "Man, if we were up there, maybe there's something we could see." And it could give them. When I was in the Battle of uh, Blackwater, it was something that I saw because I was out there that won us the battle. And then he just stays down in the crypts. And I thought it was going to be the most badass moment. I thought Tyrion was going to go to the top of it and, for, like, give that one piece of advice that he's supposed to do as the, the hand to the queen. And we didn't see it. And so I'm hoping that it's brought up later in this season that he does go up to the top and say, oh, my God, I see something. Here's my predict. The reason I predict it is because if you look, this is a very literary way to look at it. But his story arc is he had to battle everything from his father. He got to the point at which he led the Battle of Blackwater, and then he got he, he and then he was sent back down. Kind of his story arc kind of went back down. He kind of struggled with tension. Then he becomes the hand of the queen, and his story arcs back. and And then he does a bunch of dumb things, and now he's back down. So you think they're going to leave it where he's down? Or is he going to – I mean, they – One uh, last Sansa act of redemption. Said, right. Yeah. Sansa said to him, she's like, used to be the smartest person I know. So I don't think they're just going to leave him there. The other thing – the other reason I said that is the writer of the book, George R. R. Martin, I think he said that Tyrion's his favorite character. And I just – I think it, it's, it'll say something about, like, just – the the connection between the books and the show. I just I don't know. I like Tyrion. I think it's a, he's an amazing character. I think I got, Peter Dinklage, the actor, is unbelievable. Um, very rarely do you get American actors putting on the British accent. Usually, it's, it's impressive. It's usually the opposite. It's usually British actors who are able to pull off indeed accents from over here. All right, glad we got that out of the way. Last thing is we'll wrap up. This is tagging along here, and we're probably at the hour and a half mark, which yeah, is just no, awesome. It's, yeah, it's, I'm enjoying. So you're a boxing guy, and I and not maybe not necessarily to a crazy extent. You're not covering it in depthly by any means. I would, but I think that for people in our very niche demographic of covering other sports, and you know, sometimes we are busy on a Saturday night, and sometimes we do have shit to do Sunday morning. That's the perfect time to put on boxing, right? Yeah. Like Saturday night, you get the big fight. I try and talk boxing. I try and talk MMA as much as I can. So I've got a cute, just a couple basic questions here, okay? So Canelo fights this weekend. He fights Daniel Jacobs. He does. He on fights DAZN. on DAZN. Which I'm so, uh, last time you were on, we talked briefly about the, the opening of the DAZN. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Now we've seen ESPN Plus mm-hmm. kind of more in full effect. So how is... Canelo Alvarez, the cash cow, as I've nicknamed him, <laughs> right? He's just a moneymaker yeah, for, for Golden Boy promotions and and uh, Oscar De La Hoya. But within the last year, he's tested positive. How the hell does a guy who tests positive remain the quality level of champion that they're still promoting him to be and he's still viewed as? What did he do differently that other people who have failed PEDs not done. Um, I mean, I think it's probably a, a byproduct of. There's er- no right answer, by the way. This is I'm asking in your yeah, opinion. Yeah, no, of I think media it's, coverage. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a byproduct of a. Boxing needs as many stars as it can get. Okay. Facts. 
and it needs as many audiences as, as it can get. Canelo obviously is a star, and he obviously has an audience. And um, I think, from a reporter standpoint, I mean, you want you want to be able to continue to cover this guy because he's part of what leads your sport forward. And I think out of some of the clouds that it it may be in, I don't know. Um, I think it's part maybe just the fact that boxing needs stars. So if you just rid a star, then what do you – I mean, is this smart? <clears throat> I think another thing is Oscar De La Hoya obviously knows what he's doing from a marketing standpoint. Um, and I think DAZN linked with Canelo to, to I mean, push the platform the $300 million forward. Deal. So, so what are they going to do? Pull their, their marketing plan for Canelo? I mean, he's essential to their business model almost. So, I mean – well, yes, he failed PEDs. I mean, can he put on an entertaining fight that you can watch? Is there a big backstory? Is he really, like, has he fought a lot of big-time fighters? Yes. So, I mean, like, listen, are you going to watch the fight Saturday night? I'm Probably. Yeah. And so, like, Canelo and, – and so how many boxers are you going to say that for? I mean, Canelo is one of those guys you watch. You you care, care about boxing more than most. Yeah. But, like – the casual people, I think, still know Canelo, whereas a lot of Daniel Jacobs, you'd say who? I yeah. think even Terrence Crawford, to some degree, some people maybe question like like his star level. The one thing um, that I do think Crawford has going for him, and I, in the last year I've seen this shift, and it's made it easier, I would say, to bring people on, but having ESPN play the fights on TV instead of having to pay – that pay-per-view sixty-four ninety-nine, whatever they charge. I think Crawford's been brought more to light. I think he's a, a rising star. He's as good as anyone. I mean, there's I no one needs to deny the talent of Bud Crawford. We've seen more of Vasily Lomachenko sure. in the last two years because he's fought Miguel Mariaga, he's fought Guillermo Rigondeaux. I think ESPN had him on a non-pay-per-view, maybe. They've had him on multiple times. Yeah, yeah they've, I yeah. mean, probably four or five fights in the last two years. Yeah. They've had him on primetime ESPN. Um, I got a question about Loma. He's as good as anyone in the world. I mean, he's literally, I mean, since his second fight against Southpaw, Salido. Right? Yep, Southpaw. <clears throat> um, since his second fight where it was a really dirty fight, he gets low-blowed a couple times, a couple headbutts. He, you know, he loses that one in a really tough decision. He's not come remotely close to losing since. He is small. Tiny. He's, he can't fight at 155. He mm -hmm. can't fight Canelo at 160. He can't fight at 164, 168. You know, even if he goes up to 144, 149, that's pushing it. What do you do with a guy like him? I mean, people think that he's being protected by the promoters. Some people think that other boxers are literally scared to fight him because it's a guaranteed loss. What do you do with a guy like Loma? I mean, it's tough. I I, I don't know who's his, is, is it Bob Arum? Bob Arum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Top like rank boxing. So this can't be the first time Bob has had this situation. <clears throat> He's been doing it for a long time and doing it it's really. I mean, it's an age-old question right. in boxing itself. Right. I mean, I think there are a lot of questions surrounding boxing that that you could talk a lot about in terms of like, well, would it be more popular if ESPN talked about it on a daily basis or like had a like put Dan Raphael on yeah. TV, like, yeah, it probably would. But <clears throat> I think, I don't know, it, it becomes, 
tough for that kind of situation to when you, when you have a guy like that who's so good, who's probably people would enjoy watching so much, especially if he was in these big time fights um, against other big time star fighters. So I don't know. I don't know what you can do. I mean, I think you hope that maybe he can push up, and I think that you hope that they market him as best as possible. I mean, I think boxing, especially here in America, you need American stars. You need, like, that's why, I mean, I'm from Alabama, so for me, this is probably a little biased, but, like, Deontay Wilder, especially before the Fury fight, I mean, you need him to be saying kind of some outlandish stuff. You need them to be marketing Wilder. To this day! Right. I mean, you you need to have... A billboard in Times Square. You need to have him on the cover of GQ. You need to do these things um, to put him in the in the regular household home uh, of of an American um, to kind of show that hey, boxing like is still a big thing. There are these big time fighters that are fun to watch. So, so what do we do here about this heavyweight division? I mean, this heavyweight division in boxing is at a absolute standstill. We have three top dogs. Okay, two are Brits. One has one fight over the last, like, four years in Tyson Fury, and it was one of the best matches we've seen in a long time. Yeah, he was great. We have Anthony Joshua, the pretty boy, the good talker, (laughs) the absolute Greek god body of boxing. But he doesn't really want to fight anywhere else other than the U.K., and if he does, it's going to be against some Joe Schmo, like Big Baby Miller, who just tested positive for testosterone and now has to step out of his fight that – Josh was supposed to fight in in New York in a couple months. So now they're looking for a, a replacement for him. But he's not going to fight anyone big risk in New York. That's not going to happen. Then you have Deontay Wilder who says, dude, the money is in Vegas. Let's go to Vegas and fight there. In, I think, May 19th, Deontay has his next fight. And it's against a guy named uh, Brazili, Brazil. And... He was no match for Joshua. Joshua knocked him out, I think, in the seventh. He will be, in my opinion, no match for Deontay Wilder. How do you get the three best to fight the three best? I mean, I think that's that's the age-old question. I mean, I think the, the problem is you have guys like Bob Arum and Al Heyman, and it's a power struggle. They don't want to give up the power. They don't want to lose money. But in an era of streaming, in a place where we can get – a stream to any house, you would think that they could do a co-promotion streaming event, right? You would think, but who, but who has the leg up in power? I mean, like it just, that's, it just matters for them. These guys are supposed to make their guys the, the most, I mean, my hope is this, my hope is that a place like DAZN can get guys together and, and have them fight each other, guys like that on the highest level. I mean, I hope that's what the creation of a, subscription hub like that's at ES4. Right. I mean that's what I hope happens, but I don't know if I don't know if there's enough willingness to give up power and 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 for for the betterment of the sport. I mean as much as for as for fans that's great, but like if if these guys aren't going to make as much money as they would otherwise, they're just not going to do it and it's it's terrible and I think it's also terrible to hear that Half these guys, I mean, if you're testing positive for PDs, it's been a thing for so long in the sport. I almost think, like, okay, either just let them do it or, I mean, whatever. Like, let it, yeah. whatever. But, like, it's it's just the integrity of the sport, especially because there's such a power play for money. It's hard, I think, for the casual sports fan to want to, like, dive in and pay for a DAZN subscription. Um, 
and they do a good job. Like Chris Mannix, I think, is a sideline really and he's job. maybe my favorite okay. like at handling that type of thing. But like I, I to be fair, ESPN, their play by play guy is Joe Tessitore. Oh, he's he does great. Monday night. Yeah, he's he is great on so boxing. So good in boxing. Yeah, he's great on boxing. He's spectacular. I think that's part of how he came up. So like, yeah, he's great. Um and that's great for ESPN, but like I don't know if that's your model. If you want to go the boxing route, like market the hell out of it and try to get people involved and have a guy like Deontay Wilder, who's an American from Alabama. Um, like, I don't know. Th- these types of things. He should I- be a representation of have the Terrence South. Terrence Crawford, who is from yeah. Omaha and oh, still yeah. works out in Omaha. When um, he fought, so he his second to last match, he recently just beat uh, Amir Khan. Mm-hmm. Impressive fashion. It was interesting. As he always does. He's... <laughs> Bud Crawford is so good. But he fought, um, I think it was Jose Benavidez, and it was in, oh, when was it? He fought recently in Omaha, I want to say. Yeah, it was. So he fought Benavidez yeah, before, in Omaha. Yeah, yeah, I think that was his last fight, right? Before. That is how you do it. Yeah, Deontay Wilder fought in Birmingham. That is how you do it right there. And I would almost argue I would put, I would get Wilder in AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Sure. And say, you know, you're representing the South. It's the same thing E-Roll Spence did. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a Dallas guy fighting in Dallas. How are you going to generate boxing fans? No better way. Right. No better way. I get the money in Vegas and New York. Like, that makes sense to me. But on the same hand, you got to bring people to the sport for the money to continue to be there. And so that's one way to do it. Um. Bud Crawford, Terrence Bud Crawford is thirty-five and zero in his career. So yeah, he's unbelievable. He's, he's doing his thing. Um, Alabama Al, hell of a podcast, brother. It's been fun. I'm though. gonna wrap this up. Um, do you want it. to plug just athletic stuff? Um, where they can find your work? Yeah, what you they should find, do. You follow can, you on Twitter. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. You can find the work, um, theathletic.com. If you don't know what it is, it's a subscription-based website like Netflix for movies, but with sports writing and sports podcasts. They just introduced podcasts. Um, each local site's going to have some podcasts at some point or fa- some form or fashion. Some of the best writers in the country work at the site. Ken Rosenthal, Sham Sharani in NBA, Jay Glazer in the NFL, and then they have local writers everywhere. It's the – I mean, for my – so what's the what's the base cost of the subscription? <clears throat> um, it depends on what kind of deal you can get. Okay. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's like three dollars a month. Which, I think I, I think I pay four ninety nine a yeah, month. Yeah, so I think it's what I pay. Four ninety nine. You sometimes can get two ninety nine a month. Think about that. If you are a fan of a team and you want to read the best stuff for that team, the Athletic has it for a cup of coffee a month, or Bingo. A, or less than a Spotify subscription Bingo. for music, or Probably three times as less as Netflix you pay and Hulu you pay and Amazon Prime. Um, and, and look, I mean, like, I, I, it's it's my job to promote this thing. But also, I mean, I was a subscriber in the summer of 2017 when I worked in Milwaukee because I knew that, I mean, for quality sports writing, there is a market for it. And, if, and, and fans want to read stuff about their team. They want to read unique things. They want to know about the people that they're rooting for, and that's what you can find at The Athletic. I don't think you need to – the reason you get your athletic subscription shouldn't be for this reason. It just happens to be a benefactor. But I like paying the four ninety nine because I know that I'm supporting people in my field. I'm supporting sports journalism. And rather than reading that free article online, it, 
There is a satisfaction. That's not why you should get the athletic subscription. You should get it because it's the best content there is. But I, there is a caveat where it, it is nice actually supporting and sure. seeing the uh, the people work so hard and see the benefits. I tell of it. people too, like, and this is in the weeds journalism, but like, if you live in LA and you don't have the LA Times, like, you're just not really doing your like civic duty. If you live and like the LA Times is doing great, and so is the Washington Post, so is the New York Times, but like the Birmingham News is not in the best situation. Um, I mean, like you can go local paper across the country and it's just tough. So I think it's important. We think about like I had t- today TJ Quinn who went to Mizzou is an ESPN TV guy, um, former print writer. Like, I mean, these guys do investigative stuff. At, at your local papers do investigative stuff that hold people accountable. And whether people our age sometimes might not realize how important that is, I think – at some point, like, it's essential in this day and age. So and, the, and also, I mean, obviously I'm a fan of it, but, like, also it's cool to find stuff out about your city. So the radio station that I worked at this last summer that, you know, cover the Padres, and, you know, if things work out, that's probably where I'll end up after college. Let's pray for them. Um, yeah, they need some help. <laughs> so they, they entered the San Diego sports market, um, like, last year. It was within very recent, and San Diego already had two prominent sports radio stations, the Mighty 1090 and 1360. Mighty 1090 has been the top dog for 20 years. They covered the Padres. They did the Chargers. They, that is, they air those games. Those, that was San Diego sports. You know, but, you know, the, the landscape shifts as it, as it often does, and the Padres then – Join 97.3, my radio station, because we're backed by Entercom. Well, a month ago, Mighty 1090 got shut down. Wow. Because the parent company said, we're spending all this money, and we're just not seeing any of it back. They tried to continue to stream just online, Mm -hmm. and then the parent company yanks the stream yesterday or two days ago. Wow. So now, um, listen, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't good for – 97.3. 97.3. Right. No <clears> one <throat> ever wants to see anyone lose a job because no. now these people who've had a job at 90 to 90, they've they still got to pay the put the food on the table. They still got to pay the bills. They these got they got kids going to college. Uh, you know, I hope that and I'm, I had to go on a little bit of a tangent there just because so many people from San Diego do listen. I hope and pray that the people from the Mighty 1090 are able to find jobs, security, um, financial stability, and even if it's at 97.3 and it takes away from my minor chance of having a Saturday morning radio show when I'm out of college, which is you know the dream to start, even if it means that I have to grind a little bit more, I hope that those people do find um, yeah, a, a job here coming soon and that things work out all right. But for sure, we were talking about the local thing. And you got to support your local people. Yeah, you have to. I mean, I, and even like on a national scale, like this week, ESPN, the magazine said it was, it's shutting oh, down in September. Oh, dude, so heartbreaking. And I grew up, I mean, like not grew up, but for me, like these last few years, like I, I've tried to read so much of it, like Wright and Seth and, and like even Allison Overholt, who's the executive editor, they've done such a good job. And like I, people always ask me, what was your dream job? It's like. Right for ESPN, the magazine. Yeah. And so it's crazy that that is a thing. But, like, I know hopefully ESPN keeps those writers, and if they don't, they're going to be snagged, just like I'm sure the San Diego radio yeah. folks, they're there for a reason. So we'll see how it works out. But, yeah, I mean, support what you can It's for the betterment. If it doesn't cost you too much, 
Just do it. Yeah. Not asking to give an arm and a leg. Just <laughs> asking for a little bit here and there to support your local team. All right, Alabama Al. Nice work, champ. Thank you, bud. Glad we could squeeze this in before you head off to doing big boy stuff <laughs> that you're going to be doing. You got a, got a hell of a road coming up here, buddy. I do. It's going to be busy, but really, really fun. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to, to, to get to it. I'm not excited to leave all the friends here and everything no, behind. No. It's tough. It's there. There will be a point where I get really emotional about it. Um, but it's, I mean, the one thing I will say, like this Missouri experience has been unbelievable. Um, there've been times where it's like, why do I have to do this one thing to get to where I want to go? But I mean, I think there's a reason they call this place special the journalism school specifically but this town too and like the people here it's been unbelievable and um no this has been fun to do it's been fun to like work with people like you over these years Dude, the networking yeah no i mean it's it's amazing and it's not gonna stop um not at all but but no no probably leaving mizzou with the mizzou mafia networking abilities <laughs> maybe even more beneficial than the actual work that you put in yeah. in college and learning but um only thing we got to say left is let's go home, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go home. Let's go home. Let's go home, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go home.